You ready? <coughs> now I am. Okay. Um, now that we're on our true detective grind, I thought I'd do a rapid fire uh, catch up on my week. All right. Um, so, all right. I didn't write these down. Okay. The clock has started. So exactly. So I'll try behind. and go quick. Uh, I think there's a cryptid living in the swamp behind my house. Okay. Um, they're trying to take a snowstorm away from me next week, and I, I won't let it happen. Take a snowstorm away from you? Mm-hmm. What is that? Is there supposed to be a snowstorm next week? Yep. And I... It's not going to be cold enough. I have so set my hopes on having two days off of work. Mm-hmm. I'm physic- psych- psychically, I'm going to make this happen. Uh-huh. I've already started to turn it back. Okay. So um, I've decided in 2019 I want to get uh, blocked by Ben Shapiro. Okay. That seems like it'd be pretty easy to do. Right. I gave it my first real shot uh, tonight. So mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Uh, I'll keep checking. Okay. Uh, Hollywood Handbook had one of the funniest yeah. episodes ever. Uh, the Masked Engineer. Yeah. An all-timer. All-timer. All-timer for all podcast episodes. It, if I didn't feel so goofy, I wanted to just email. I didn't even know how, but just thank them. Yeah. Like, hey, thanks. <laughs> thanks for that. Sure. <laughs> um. Mm, I saw Glass. Okay. I finished a book. How was Glass? Good or bad? Um, it's bad. goofy as hell. Oh, so bad. And I still liked it. Okay. Um, what book did you finish? The first Wheel of Time book. Oh, okay. Um, halfway through the first uh, three body problem book. Right. And I love it. Good. Okay. Um. I think that's it. All right. two things (laughs) to start off this true detective conversation okay the first one is going to be a recommendation for another podcast called shoot the dancing bear they their last episode they do a recap of the first it's not a recap but they Mm -hmm. talk about the first season and they talk a little bit about their feelings about the first two episodes of the third season. But really, they, they explore the first season and they're just incredibly thoughtful and intelligent when they're talking about it. And it's really, really good. And it, the, the, the first, that's the first reason why I bring it up. The second reason I bring it up is because when we were talking about it last week, I realized after listening to Shoot the Dancing Bear, that 
I've become very cynical about Nick Pizzolatto and True Detective in general. Mm -hmm. And I agreed with like all of their readings of the first season and like the themes of it. And it's been a while since I've watched the first season. Um, but there's a lot of stuff there and it was really good despite I feel like not really landing the ending that much, but they have like explanations for all of it and it all makes sense. And it's all like, you know what I mean? Like intentionally makes sense. It's not like stuff that you just sort of stumble upon. You know what I mean? Right. And so I feel like I have not given Pizzolatto the, his, his due. Right. I feel like I, I swung too far in the other direction and, and <laughs> taking credit away from him. So that's the first thing I wanted to say. The second thing I wanted to say is that Nick Pizzolatto needs a strong director to direct his stuff. Because when you get random TV directors in to do it, it sucks. And the third episode was very disappointing. For me, because they got just a random and I also want to take back everything I said about Jeremy Saulnier's director of the first two episodes, because it may have been too subtle for me at the time. But then getting this third episode that just looks like a standard TV, true crime, procedural, whatever. It was like, OK, give me bring back Jeremy, please, because this is like. You still have all this like pulpy dialogue, this very heavily stylistic dialogue. And now you just have like the framing of CSI Los Angeles (laughs) and it it clashes so poorly in my mind. And like I said, I didn't think it was bad necessarily, but it was very disappointing. Mm -hmm. And if that was how the first two episodes were shot and, and, and filmed, I would not still be watching this, this, the show. Yeah. I would have I would have stopped after the maybe halfway through the second episode. Yeah, I mean, it, you you realize that like directing is hard, you know. Yeah, it's a hard job, and it takes a lot of effort. And there there was a scene I forget which one in this episode, but I remember the framing, and they they just kept cutting, and you could see that they were trying to do something more interesting than just like shot reverse shot right of like two people talking and it would like pull back in the room and kind of like frame them talking to room um hershaw lee his partner and i think there's somebody else and it just literally looked like um the director was like okay uh this is a stylish show so <laughs> you guys stay where you are right we're gonna put the camera over here yeah. And we'll just film you from over here. Right. And he didn't think about them in context of the shot. He just moved the camera to a new angle. It was like, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and that stood out to me too, where it's just, it's, it's not inspired and it doesn't have, you know, like, like we talked about before, like Kerry Fukunaga, you get the sense like right. they clashed because he had things he wanted to do. Right. He had ways that you want to shoot and tell the story and that caused conflict. And maybe the same thing with Jeremy Saulnier. And this guy was probably like, what's this, what's this scene again? Oh, they're talking. Okay. I gotcha. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if this is, if this is 
like pure if this is his pure vision like water it down for me you know what i mean and that and that was the other thing we have been watching maniac we're halfway through maniac and that's a that's another series where it's like got all of these weird ideas right kind of like very nuanced stuff Mm -hmm. or stuff that you don't think is nuanced because it is so stylistic that when you remove the nuance from an aspect of it, it sticks out like a sore thumb. You know what I mean? So it's like you have to have both. I feel like you can't have this very uh, stylistic, heavy dialogue and then just have, like you said, shot, reverse shot, these two goobers talking to each other because it just doesn't work. It, it, It was just so disappointing. It was really disappointing. Because I thought it, it it just made it seem like corny. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So I wanted to say, with this episode, I agree with the directing. Um, and it also just kind of feels like they don't get it all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's just a weird feeling of like, oh, like they're just filming a show just to do it. And it's, I, I don't know, it's just strange. The whole feeling was strange to me. I still, for me, the, the person who's kind of pulling me through all of this is Mahershala Ali. I think he's great mm-hmm. in the role. Um, and I, I did like the episode. I really do hope that something significant happens next episode. Yeah. Um, this is kind of the turning point for me where, and, and you, you talked about like the parallels to season one and now it even stood out more to me where he's like, really using the skeleton of, of season one, mm. except in season one, you have, it's more about the time in between, you know, Woody Harrelson and Matthew McConaughey working together and then coming back together. That's kind of a, a momentous moment. And in this, you realize like a similar time has passed between these two. It's been, you know, 10 years mm-hmm. and we don't know how long they haven't worked together. But this time getting back together happens at a bar over like two drinks and it happened so fast. (laughs) That was also like, what was their conflict? Mm -hmm. Like, is that the, is that the point? Like there was no conflict. Like they just kind of like, they just grew apart. They just kind of rib each other a little bit. They're Mm kind of like, yeah, if if I had, you know, your, uh, skin color, I, I would have been further along. And he's like, yeah, if you, you kept your mouth shut or whatever. And then he's like, do so you want to work with me? And he's like, yeah, I guess. And yeah. then they're like back on it. And it just, it, it totally didn't gel, especially when I get, I guess the timing of everything didn't gel for me because you have him being very like, um, negative towards his wife yeah, and her relationship to the, um, to the case. Right. So, then his partner comes back into his life and he's like, yeah, let's right. do this. Well, at the same time, like you said, they don't all, they also don't do a very good job of explaining like what happened. Like 
and maybe that's to come. Well, I, yeah, I think. Like, well, I think that's kind of the point, right? Like when when Stephen Dorff is being interviewed, he's like, "Yeah, we just kind of drifted apart. There was no, yeah. there's no story." Yeah, and, and so maybe maybe that's like the subversion of like, yeah, this isn't like a hard boiled, two hard boiled guys going after each other, right? Like in season one, this is just like life happening. Yeah, yeah, I mean that makes sense. Yeah, which might be interesting, but uh, it just I, it, I kind of. Marshall Ali is great, but I just kind of lost his character for a moment because I was like, here's a guy who's like done with this case. He doesn't want in in their lives anymore. He doesn't like how obsessed his wife is with the case. Mm -hmm. And then he's like back on the case with his partner. Yeah. I'm also having troubles understanding what anybody is saying. (laughs) There was a moment in this episode where I actively tried to figure out how to turn the captions on my TV and I couldn't. And then Julie and I were were both just like, all right, whatever. (laughs) Don't know what he's going to say to his ghost wife here, I guess. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, So here's here's one thing. Going back to some of the theories that that we were uh, talking about last episode. Right. They are doing something weird with his wife. Yeah. She she is coming off a bit more obsessed with the case and even the ghost wife a bit more antagonistic obviously like she she's not a comforting spirit right um and it made me feel like yeah they, i think they're trying i think she she may not have done the murders but she definitely no, play yeah. into some aspect i don't think there's any way she's involved zero in, percent in the murders no zero percent Mm, but I don't know if I agree with that. Uh, this I've read a couple things on the subreddit where people are theorizing that she has she potentially did something to spice the story up, uh, and that's uh, has complicated the investigation, uh, or that he has done something to uh, screw with the investigation and they've been trying to more or less cover it up. I think one of the more popular theories was that people were using sort of the Vietnam line about him going into the woods and coming out with scalps Mm -hmm. as like foreshadowing because the wife says something about... Uh, you don't want them to know what you did in the woods or something right. like that. So they're theorizing that, and maybe that, it, and the, and the, and that we'll see it in this in this next episode, is that he potentially finds the person when they reopen this investigation and kills him, mm-hmm. um, but obviously doesn't tell anybody about it, and so it remains this sort of. Yeah, I could see that. There there was a moment when he goes off looking for clues and he finds the dice. Right. He finds the blood. <clears throat> and he doesn't initially call for backup right. he or just help. Collects it. He just collects it and just kind of keeps looking. But you do get the sense of if he if he gets on a trail, his first instinct is probably to see that trail through to the end. Right. Rather than pull back and wait for people. Uh, so I could, I could see that. Um, the question is who, who got convicted? 
Who's in jail? Well, I think that's obvious that it's the uh, trash man, right? I mean, I, it wasn't as obvious to me. I guess but, I just assumed. But that's the only complication. We're, are we saying that both of them would be okay if the trash man went to jail for a crime that they know he didn't commit? Right, yeah. I think, like, I could see them maybe killing somebody and then trying to be, like, unsolved. But as soon as he gets convicted, you know, I, I don't see them. Yeah, but, I mean, if he's the one responsible for killing the guy that did it, right? How do you then be like, listen, I know this guy didn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, how I do you know? know? Trust me. I just know that this guy didn't do it. Yeah. Right. And I could also see that being a complication in the, you know, race relations that the show is playing with a little bit. Because what's the, uh, I can't remember the trash man's name, mm-hmm. but him and Hayes are both, that, that, you know, that's a They're theme for off. both of their characters. Yeah. They're both vets. I I got the sense that Hayes and him had a bond. Obviously, after the first interview, I got the sense that neither of them had him on their radar for this. And neither of them... I, I got the feeling that even their, their feelings were positive towards him. Yeah. That, you know, not that they liked him, but they were like, yeah, he's a solid guy. Um, and so, I don't know. I just don't know that I, I pegged them as two detectives who would murder somebody, cover up that murder, and then let somebody else take the fall for it and just be like, that's life. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's one thing. I, I'm not so sure that the wife isn't involved in some way, although I don't see how she could be. Right. That's, that's what, especially when you see all the stuff that they found, the note, the um, toys, the dice. Like, it just doesn't seem like, hey, there's this really cool teacher who wants to play D&D with us yeah. in the woods. I, I just don't see that. Yeah, being... I, I don't know. I, I know it's, it's hard. It's not, it's not like, it's just more of a gut feeling. But that just, it just seems like bad writing to me. Well, that's what I'm saying. Having the wife do it, it just seems like bad writing. If you can't really see it like that, that's what makes it. Like, and then I think about her, like, because they they went and played after school, like almost every day. And she leaves the school. She drives out into the woods. She gets her dice. (laughs) And she (laughs) waits in the woods for these kids and then plays with them. Drops one of them on a rock. poses them and then runs away with the girl. Like that's the other thing is the, the girl's still alive. We're and meant to believe. He's also posed like he is in childhood pictures. Yeah. So it has to be somebody that knows the family. Yeah, that's what you get the sense. So I, So I, the wife is involved. The mother is involved. The mother. That's your take. That was my original take and I'm sticking to it. If anybody in the family, I'm gonna say the uncle. Yeah, but I still think the mom is at least knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I would say so far I agree with you. Directing suffered. Um, they're doing something with the with the wife, and I'm interested to see what that is. 
if she turns out to be the killer at this point, I don't see it. I think that would be a bad move. Um, the dumb theory watch of the week is I saw somewhere that people were guessing the little girl is Sarah Gadden, the lady doing the interview in, tw- in 2015. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> that she is now like incepting her own right. story. Yeah. Uh, I guess that kind of touches on the one, my one take on this episode was when she presents their own information to him, to Hayes. Uh-huh. She's like, we found, you know, this neighbor says they weren't interrogated and this one says oh, that they right. remembered. Right. And there's just this list of stuff. Yeah. All of it immediately made me think of podcasts right and these true crime podcasts of people who are looking at cold cases and they're like and what about this and this person wasn't interrogated and blah 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 it seems like really easy to do from like 20 years away uh right because those people might be more willing to talk than they were 20 years ago their memories might not be as good. Well, yeah. There, and there's, I think there's also like a hero factor to it, too, of like, right. I'm sure there are people who would have the feeling of like, you know, 20 years, like you said, 20 years down the road, you know, all these different details. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I saw that car all the time, but nobody talked to me about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's like. It's like a it's like a gross, like fame obsession almost. Yeah. And I. I was thinking about this a few years ago. I had something happen uh, to to me and my wife, like where we lived, that was so bad it caused us to have to move. Yeah. I was thinking about that and I was like, man, it's so crazy that that happened to me. And then I realized the first night is very clear. After that, I don't know. Yeah. I wanted to talk to Elise and be like, what do you remember? And that happened only a few years ago. Yeah. So I, I kind of wanted, and I kind of still hope, if that goes anywhere, if this modern day TV show is actually doing something narratively, it's to kind of expose how easy and simple some of these uh, retroactive investigations can be. <clears throat> um, how kind of knee jerk. They can be in making you question the, you know, the policing in the case. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I would rather it explore like an entertainment aspect of it. Well, yeah, but that I rather mean, that's the than thing. that investigating the actual police work, because I think there's been a lot of like good to come from that. Honestly, it's yeah. like how sort of corrupt police work can be. Here's the thing though. But like you said, with the podcast, a lot of that is just mining it for, I mean, ad revenue. If you want to really break it down, there there was, you shared with me a post that was talking about the parallels to Jacob Wetterling's Right. The in the dark podcast. In the dark podcast. The first season, I guess. In the dark season one. And then season two is freaking amazing. And it is legit journalism, like on display. And they are o- overturning like shocking details episode by episode and putting in the work to make it happen. 
But for every in the dark, for every serial, for every, and again, this is where I start like kind of stretching. Um, for every well-reported true crime podcast, there is a shadow of that. There's somebody grasping for the limelight, um, just trying to get something out there. And their method of journalistic integrity is basically like, um, yeah, maybe I contacted a neighbor or yeah, I read the police file and went on Google. Uh, and, and, and it's almost like, it's almost like they are treating their investigation like a podcast of a TV show. Like they're almost analyzing a TV show. Yeah. And they're just picking, they're just looking for things to pick apart. And I am no fan of, you know, kind of like buying the police narrative. Uh, and there has been a lot of good that has come from real journalists really going after some of these uh, cases. But I think that I would also, I'm also ready for one that says like, you can't just, you know, have a cheesy TV show be an entertain uh, uh, an entertainer and undercut an entire investigation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tw- 20 years on, you can't just interview some people and be like, right. Boom. Bombshell. Yeah. So I don't know where they're going to go. I hope they go that way with it. Yeah. I don't think I listened to season two, but I did listen to season one. Yeah. I, w- I would recommend season two's, Really, really amazing. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's the dumb theory. That would be hilarious. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then you shared with me an article about how season two follows kind of the Eastern Book of the Dead. Oh, right. So <laughs> that was another thing that was big on the subreddit this week was a lot of not not have they not only have they gone so full it's not even full circle but they've gone like so far up their own asses with the true detective love that they got to season two was actually great now they're at season one wasn't that great (laughs) season two was right i can't believe it there's a post on that on the front page right now it's like Hey, does anybody else think that the first season doesn't really hold up? It's like, <laughs> all right. All right. This is like, you know what I mean? Shut it down. Close, the subreddit is, is closed. You've got too much, too much time on your hands if that's where you're at. Yeah. Um, that Book of the Dead, though, I, I feel like, is there, do you get the sense at all that there's something deeper or philosophically like, uh, um, I'm also working off of four hours of sleep. There's a, there's a week catch up. So I'm running out of words, mm-hmm. but anything uh, like, um, <laughs> do you, do you think he's reaching for anything deeper with this season? Uh, like cause, cause he confirmed the Eastern book of the dead. Right. And it's like, this character is named after a concept in the Eastern book of the dead. Yeah. Do do you think, do you get the sense of that? Or do you think he's like pulled way back and he's like, I'm just going to try and tell a good. No, I mean, that's, story. that's what I'm saying. Like I, I I'm, I'm fully 
ready to admit that that I don't get it, right? Nick Pizzolatto is smarter than me. He knows what he's writing about. I'm perfectly fine with that. I don't get this stuff, right? On first watch, it, it's hard for me to like pick up on these themes. I have no problem believing, you know, what the guys talk about in Shoot the Dancing Bear. Like I see all of it. It all makes sense to me and it's all executed perfectly in the first season, you know? I th- I have no problem believing that all of that stuff was there in the second season. It just wasn't executed well. And I have no problem believing that that stuff, you know, maybe playing on, you know, I themes of memory and racism, stuff like that. It's there. I've seen some of it in the third season. I have no problem believing that it's there. And I think that that guy's, you know, theory about the second season is really interesting. The problem for me is that the show is still bad and or that season was still bad. And one of the reasons I have such an issue with the third episode is that the way I see it is like if I'm watching a TV show, if I'm watching a movie, I want it to be visually interesting. I don't want it to look like every other TV show I've seen. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. If I wanted just this story from True Detective from season 3, I can listen to the first season of In the Dark, right? If I want the story, I'd rather just listen to a podcast or I'd rather read a book. If I'm going to be watching it, I want it to be visually interesting. And I think the other interesting thing about season two is that was another season that didn't have one director at the helm of all the episodes, right? And I think I think that's probably what I pro- that's probably what the biggest problem was, to be honest. Like looking back at it now, listening to the uh, other guys on Shoot the Dancing Bear talking about it, read the, reading that guy's theory, it seems like all of the elements are still there. But when you lose the director, who's able to take these very pulpy lines, these very stylized lines, and be like, okay, this is how we frame it, this is how we shoot it, and this is how the actor acts it so that it's not cringy. You know what I mean? And it's like you look at even the stunt, like Vince Vaughn is very obviously stunt casting, right? Yeah. But you could say the same thing about Steven Dorff, right? But he's great in the first two episodes. Yeah. And to a certain extent, you could say the same things about Matthew McConaughey. Like Matthew McConaughey, when the first season of True Detective came out, that was his like big turnaround, right? Because it was like right before that, he was in what was that like going for going on 40 movie or whatever? Uh-huh. It was like yeah. he was in like rom coms. Right. And then he's in this first season of True Detective and all of a sudden he is back to being this big, serious actor. Right. So there's like a bit of like. I feel like Pizzolatto is kind of like Quentin Tarantino, except he just has no idea how to direct anything. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But you've got like the stylized writing. You've got the subject matter is similar. He likes to do the stunt casting. But he has to have a strong director to tie it all together. And I feel like without that, it just is a mess. 
Speaking of Tarantino, I rewatched The Hateful Eight this week. Oh, really? Just randomly. I still really like that. Yeah, movie. it's great. I rewatched it a while ago. Really? But, but I rewatched it after I'd seen it in the theater, yeah. Yeah. It was on Netflix, and I was like, mm-hmm. why not? Yeah, it's great. Someone stop me. Right. Just try. Uh I'll puke blood all over you. Uh All right. I think we did it. Yep. Short and sweet. That's that's all they do.